My name is Chris Cherry, and I'm the mastermind. Uh, my name is Brie Castellini, and I'm the mastermind. And this is Lev Ridged. <laughs> a burn notice about the television, uh, the, what's the network it came on? Uh, I have no idea. It's on TNT, it's on, right? I, I, it's on IMDb TV now. All right. It's an IMDb TV original. <laughs> a podcast about the show that was originally, I think, on TNT and is now on IMDb TV, Leverage. Yep, it sure is. The show that we have been making allusions to basically since the beginning of Burn Notice. I don't remember exactly how it came up, but our our friends over at Burn Notice Notice definitely mentioned it once or twice, and we know they're fans of it. I'm also a fan of it, and we refused to allow Christine to watch it until we finished Burn Noticed, which we did last week. Thank you so much for getting us to the end of our 111 episode run, y'all. Uh, but yeah, now Chris has exactly. finally permission to no, watch this is been an, a, a podcast episode years in the making. Uh, thank you to certainly Larry for recommending that we watch Leverage and for um, staying on our ass about it. Also, thanks to Larry for buying merch. Larry bought himself a mug with our logo on it, and I believe also one of the, um, we'll talk about next week, next week shirts. Because they're great shirts. They're great shirts. They haven't, at, at the time of recording, the shirt hasn't come in yet, but he sent me a picture on Twitter of the mug, and it looked great. That's great. We love you, Larry. We love you, Larry. Thanks for recommending Leverage, although we were definitely going to do this at some point. Exactly, because that's always been the thing with Joe and Tony, is that, like, burn notice is bad leverage. Yeah, and, like, that's not not fair. (laughs) But it's also not completely fair. I'd say it's not completely fair. But but you can see, I'm sure, from the pilot that you watch, because you only watch the pilot, I only watch the pilot. I was uh, talking off mic about how maybe it was a disservice a little bit for me to only watch the pilot. I just watched it just now before coming here to record. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is an episode long time coming. They love leverage. They have also just, I think even independent of the podcast, have been trying to get me to watch leverage for years. Mm-hmm. I also think we have met the guy who worked on leverage, right? Maybe created leverage? John, not, John Rogers? Did he not come into our class in grad school did he i know that jonathan frakes worked on leverage at least once or twice i feel like we had a speaker in grad school with like someone who was high up on leverage like really i don't remember i hadn't watched leverage in grad school i didn't watch leverage until like semi recently for the first time yeah i don't know did i think we've been in the same room as john rogers really i think he you don't think he zoomed in because a couple of our people zoomed in i feel like I mean, he might have zoomed in, but I feel like he was there. I don't know. I feel well, like Well, I we, trust your recollection better than mine, apparently. I feel like we all saw John Rogers, and I was the only person, I think, who was aware of Leverage. Oh, interesting. Like, I also have, I have a mutual on Tumblr who loves Leverage. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a I think lot they're of- my mutual, too. Because I, I think that I, I, a lot of the people I follow on Tumblr came from you reblogging people enough that I'm like, I should probably just directly follow this person. Who is, who is your mutual? I don't know. I don't know. But I also, I think there's multiple people that I, like, have reblogged on Tumblr that do leverage stuff. Mm-hmm. Because Tumblr loves leverage. Yeah. Very Tumblr show. It really is. Um, and so I do see a lot of it on Tumblr, even from the person who I was not thinking of at the time. Because um, I remember, I think I told her after the guy was there, like, Leverage guy was there. You like Leverage. Mm. Oh, okay. Uh, well, then I believe you. I guess we've met John Rogers. I think we have. Or we're at least in his presence, which is neat. 
It's very neat. I will say, I think that Leverage is the only thing that he has created that I've seen that I've liked. Right. I tried with the librarians or the historians mm-hmm. or whatever the fuck it's called. Librarians. Could not get into it. It was just bad leverage. Like, beat to beat, just bad leverage. Worse than Burn Notice, I would say. And then I've heard only bad things about Marry Me, the rom-com that he wrote with Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. I haven't seen it, but uh, the... Reviews are not heartening, and you know how I feel about rom-coms normally. Was it Jennifer Lopez? Yeah. And Owen Wilson? Mm Mm-hmm. Who wanted that? Apparently they've been in one before. Or maybe if not a romance, uh, some kind of film where they were, like, romantically connected. That's interesting, because I feel like I don't want those two together. Yeah, I don't think anyone did, which is why the movie didn't go very well. No, it's not. I imagine, (laughs) I can't imagine it being very good. Yeah, but in any case, Leverage, I find to be a really, really great show. Right. So we're not going to do, obviously, this is a bonus episode. We're not going to do a full recap. But to your recollection, what what was this episode about, Chris? I mean, well, it is called The Nigerian Job. Mm -hmm. It is, it's about getting this, like, group of thieves together to, at first, steal some plans and then to get revenge for the stealing of the plans when the stealing for the, of the plans turns out to be a double cross. Yeah. That's ba- the ba- basic plot. Yeah, basically a guy hires uh, ex-insurance A guy that I love. I love this guy. The the evil guy? The evil guy. Dubenich. Dubenich. He's just one of those great character actors mm-hmm. who's in everything, and I always love him when he shows up. Yeah, he does a great job. So he yeah. hires ex-insurance investigator Nathan, Nathan Ford, who unsubtly is clearly an alcoholic post-insurance investigator gigs. And uh, it is hinted at that it's because his son was screwed over by the insurance company that he once worked for. And Dubenich hires him to basically be the daddy for a group of thieves who normally work alone to steal, according to him, back the plans that another airplane, airplane manufacturer. Company. Yeah, like there's it's two warring airplane manufacturers. And Dubenich is like, he stole my plans and I have a shareholders meeting at the end of the month. You have to steal them back for me with this team of thieves. They do this. It goes well. But then he when Dubenich reneges on the payment saying, I didn't receive the plans, they all meet up and it turns out he's double crossing them. And so now uh, for revenge and to get the money that he owed them for the original plan that he reneged on officially when he thought he might be able to just kill them, they steal the plans back from him, humiliate him and become the leverage crew that we know and love for the next five seasons. Exactly. And yeah, so this is me finally sitting down having watched an episode of Leverage. How did you find it? I kind of hated it. Oh, no. I, there was a couple <laughs> moments where I was like, I don't know if Chris will love this part of it. I think if you kept watching it, you would enjoy it. Uh, I would be curious to watch it uh, with you and like with Joe and Tony, who all love it so much. But like, was it the cheesiness? It's okay. Because there were definitely moments of the pilot as because they have to get through so they much. They have to get through so much. There's some contrived moments where it's like, oh, that worked out well for you. No, it's just, it's a... I'm sure it's a good show. Mm-hmm. Terrible pilot. It's like one of the worst pilots I've ever seen. In what way? Because as I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is fun. I like that they start like basically in media res. This is this is exciting. See, yeah, but I kind of don't think that works. Okay. Um, Break it down for me. Why didn't you like it? Well, okay. So the thing about this, and I remember I was like looking at the Wikipedia and John Rogers was talking about how he wanted to make a show that's kind of like Mission Impossible, kind of like Rocker Files, like a little bit breezy, you know, that influence is definitely there. But I also, the thing that's not on the Wikipedia that I think definitely happened in like, I don't know if it was the director's meetings or like the stu- the network meetings or what, is that this is an episode of television 
that desperately wants to be Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it is, like, that is the thing that it is trading on much more than Rockford Files, much more than, like, older television. This is an episode of television that is, like, desperate to be Ocean's Eleven, and it's not good at it. Why not? Um, well, the thing about Ocean's Eleven is that it's kind of perfect. It works because you have a bunch of people who are incredibly talented, like, operating at the top of their game, putting together this magic trick. Mm -hmm. Like, Ocean's Eleven is a magic trick, Mm -hmm. you know? And so much of the, the magic trick is built on misdirection, is built on, like, glitz and glamour and style. Like, Ocean's Eleven is one of the most stylish movies of all time. This pilot looks fine. It's a little too in love with shots like from Ocean's Eleven. It loves Ocean's Ocean's Eleven style shots of looking at the team from above walking away. Mm -hmm. There's not as much of that moving forward. I will say the thing that struck me, because I haven't seen the pilot in uh, about a year, um, although I did recently, like within the last two years, do a full series rewatch in order to prepare for Leverage Unhinged or whatever the fuck the new series is called. Redemption. (laughs) I like mine better. Uh, I've heard it both ways. Psych. It was interesting rewatching it, knowing that it was going to be your first time, because like it's definitely it's a, the show's always going to be cheesy, but this yeah. is like an exceptionally cheesy introduction, it's incredibly cheesy. But like it hadn't grown into its cheesiness yet. Like it does eventually, but I, I like it also. It's not nearly as clever as it needs to be. No, this is the thing about it, and I it's because I... they have the two that we have the two scams. We yes. have to actually see them fully do the first job, even though we don't see them really planning it, and then we also have to see them do the second. Exactly. One. I think that is the biggest mistake that the pilot makes. Yeah, is that it. And I understand why it feels the need to do that, Mm -hmm. but it was the wrong choice. They should not have done that. Because what it really does is it shortchanges the putting the team together. Because that's the other thing about Ocean's Eleven is that, like, it spends a lot of its time putting its team together. Mm -hmm. Like, I was talking to Andrew last night about, I think in the context of horror movies, I really love movies that are about, like, spinning... Uh, spending one half of the movie setting up a whole bunch of stuff so that the second half of the movie can just pay it all off. Mm -hmm. And, like, this one kind of can't do that. Well, I mean, they don't have enough time. Like, the thing about Ocean's Eleven is that it's a movie. So you get a lot more time to deal with it. And you're doing functionally one job. Exactly. And that is the thing where they've decided to to do this thing that just really ruins it. And especially because... Like, in Ocean's Eleven, right, there's 11 of them, right? Mm -hmm. So some of them are introduced very quickly, Mm -hmm. and some of them get longer introductions. Right. And everyone in this show gets an introduction that's on the level of, like, the the trapeze artist guy. They're all like, or the like the two brothers that argue at each other, where it's like a really quick, each one of them gets a little flashback, like... Mm-hmm. thing to establish their thing that lasts like five seconds mm-hmm. i don't know who these people are as people mm-hmm. it's just like here's the joke of them mm-hmm. and they're not a person this is the joke of them and it's too bad because like the characters and their evolving relationships become so much the heart of the show that this really does sell them short from an introduction perspective if you're not already like willing to go along with it until the show kind of finds itself I will say like a particular moment that bugged me in the pilot um, that I didn't remember because uh, I hadn't ever watched it for the purposes of discussing it before is there's a moment in the very first job that they're doing where they think that they're stealing the plans for the right person person 
and they all panic when the guards are out of place and they have to escape the building and they're all like oh no like let's work like let's everyone every man for themselves you know to establish like these are thieves who work alone uh, and then Nate's like no we're doing whatever the next phase is and they all like immediately meet up in the elevator to get dressed up in what was clearly a pre-planned series of business clothes to escape uh-huh. the building and it's yeah. like did you guys not remember that? Because they drop into the elevator and instantly have a disguise to break out of the building with. It's like, why would you have gone on your own? This seems like a great plan that you clearly were aware of. Exactly. No, that makes no sense. Like, it's did, so weird. Did but Nate that's... sneak it into the double back? Like, what are, you, what are we supposed to think? And that's, like, every single thing is like that. Like, it yeah. is, this is, like... One of the things I actually kind of appreciate about Burn Notice, especially after watching this, is that it's actually not a show that's ever that interested in being clever. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, this... It tries to be something. It does sometimes. It, it tries to make us think that Michael Weston is clever. Exactly. But it's like... But it doesn't run on cleverness the way that, no. like, this runs on cleverness. Mm-hmm. And, like, none of it's clever. Like, none of it's, like, good. Mm-hmm. It's all fine. I think it's all really summed up in the other big problem with the pilot and the show, Uh which I think is acknowledged as being a big problem with the show, Mm -hmm. which is that Nate sucks. Oh, yeah. And that that, sucks. That, that, especially seasons one and two, he's like, you know, because he's dealing with the trauma of, like, we, we, I forgot that we didn't get any uh, hospital flashbacks in this episode, because you get a lot of hospital flashbacks. There's one. Is there one? Yeah, there's one. He's, like, crying over his son or something? Oh, okay, I must have missed that. Um, But, like, I'm surprised there weren't more, because what it reminded me of as I was rewatching it is the Veronica Mars pilot, which also has, like, a lot of really melodramatic flashbacks to, like, traumatic things that then don't get mentioned again for half a season. And I remember being like, Veronica Mars' pilot was pretty good. But there was a lot of shit in there that it's like, you either are on board or you quit right now. Um, So like that was, but yeah, Nate's a lot. He's not as insufferable as it goes because the other characters finally establish themselves and their dynamics enough to like make him kind of fall into the background. So he's, yes, technically the mastermind and he always has to have his mastermind moment. But unlike Burn Notice, I will say, he is at no point ever painted as infallible and in fact is explicitly canonically fallible for the entire run of the show. And that makes it a lot easier to tell stories where even when he's good at his job, he is not always the hero. And I do like that. But also just Timothy Hutton sucks. I think he sucks as a person. He definitely does. That's why they killed him off for the new series. But he also sucks as an actor. The thing about, I think a lot of what's wrong with this pilot Mm -hmm. is summed up in the way that Timothy Hutton, when he has like a line, keeps putting in these ridiculous pauses like, I think some of that is the direction, like the yeah. the very end sequence where he's like sitting like yeah. a like a king on no, a it's like, armchair. Exactly, and it's just like that stops happening. <laughs> like I when I was watching that scene, I was like, "This looks insane. Why did these people let them into their house?" No, no. Well, we'll get to that. Like the thing <laughs> is, you explain the plot, but I kind of have to go through it all okay. because it, none of it works. Okay, so like, but again, we start with him, and like he meets the guy, and like. It's so, because they have decided to do all of this stuff, all of it has to be so telly, mm-hmm. where it's just like, here, like, he ha- he says right away, like, he just says in the first, like, five minutes, this is the premise of the show. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to like, babysit these thieves. Like, mm-hmm. that is like, and it's just like, no, we can just watch it happen. We mm-hmm. don't need to, like, have you, ex- like, 
It's weird the extent to which he puts this together instead of like Nate putting it together. Because that's the thing about Ocean's Eleven is that Ocean knows all these people. Mm -hmm. Like it would make much more sense. Like if he is like this guy who's like this insurance guy who knows all these people, Mm -hmm. why does he not put the team together? Yeah, it's it's there there's some stuff in here that like there's a lot of fat that could have been cut so that we could get more clever setups. Exactly. But yeah, in future episodes, while there's an occasional contrived thing because like it's a show about con artists to an extent you have to like embrace the con of it, but I will say when they have the ability to focus just on one thing, it's a lot it's a lot more actually clever and then we get to see people do more than just like say one-liners and snipe at each other. Yeah, there's just so much of that. And it's it's all just, and everything's static, and they're all, like, I will say, I don't know, I didn't look to see who directed this. Oh, I didn't either. Here, let me check. No one is giving a good performance in this pilot. No one. Like, I think Christian Kane, Christian as Kane, in everything, is perfect. Christian Kane is, I was about to say, is giving the best performance. Christian Kane is my favorite character. He, he, Elliot is my 100% favorite character. Because, like, by the end of the show, he becomes much more of the Nate position. Right. Uh, but also, like, he he's sort of this weird character where, like, you never really know him. And every episode, a new thing is revealed about him. Like, he's like a master chef. He can sing and play guitar. <laughs> like, he's this weird, like, his, every man. Well, his introduction is wild. Because, like... Oh, yeah. The coffee was, cup. The coffee cup. I feel like that's the one cheesy introduction bit that like works Mm -hmm. because it's so cartoony that it comes around the other side yeah that's the other thing that i think is a problem about this episode's like structure overall is that it's not quite committing to the level of heightenedness it's like it wants to and like the 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 way that it's written is like this is heightened this is kind of cartoony but it's also trying to be really realistic so that like the cleverness lands i don't think it is i think it's just bad at the heightenedness because there's nothing realistic about it. It's all just kind of... Well, but there's parts of it that it needs to be realistic. Otherwise, the, like, con doesn't sell. Yeah, but it doesn't sell. And, like, sell. clever reveals... Exactly. But that's the problem is that, like, it hasn't fully committed to one or the other. Like, if you want to go full cartoon, we can go full cartoon. But he doesn't go full cartoon because he needs enough realism to make it seem clever. It gets... The, the cartoonishness is removed a little bit more. The cartoonishness is eventually reserved for just, like, character charisma right. and, like, the occasional hyperbolic recollection. The actual show gets a lot more grounded as it goes, which I think works in its favor. No, no, I bet. Like, it would kind of have to. But no, and I think, like, and talking about, again, all these pauses, there's a bit in the episode where uh, Nate says a line that, like, is very much a line that I would write. (laughs) Oh, directed Um, by Dean Devlin, who's, I think, either the co-creator or definitely, like, the executive producer the entire time. Was Dean Devlin? Maybe we met Dean Devlin. Did we? Why would we have met a director? We met directors. We met people. I don't know. We either met, we may have met Dean Devlin. Anyway, but like there's a line in the episode where I think he's like talking and he talks to Christian Kane and he says like, I think Christian asks like, what's in it for me? Mm -hmm. And he says like, payback. And if it goes right, a big payout. And then Parker asks like, what's in it for me? And he goes, a big payout. And if it goes right, and he makes a giant pause, (laughs) giant, just like, you know, you could eat a dinner in this pause. And then it says payback. But it's like, we know what you're going to say. Mm -hmm. It's only clever if you throw it away. It's only Mm -hmm. clever if you say it 
as fast or faster than we can finish the line for you. For sure. And yeah. again, I think that's a directing choice, less so than a Tim... I mean, it might have been a Timothy Hutton choice, because I'm know. sure he was. he's a famous bear about everything, but... Yeah, Nate Ford is 100% the low point of the entire show, frankly. And and this is also the episode that has to have him as the lead the most. Right. And, like, because it's the pilot. But no, and, like, he does that a bunch of times. Like, they keep making a meal of these lines that are not good enough lines to Mm. make a meal of. Yeah. Like, they're lines that you have to throw away. Like, again, like, one of the things about Ocean's Eleven and Steven Soderbergh is that he loves to throw these things away. Mm -hmm. Like, if George Clooney said that line, he would throw it off. It would be really fast. It'd be like, oh, you do that. It would be like, the pattern would be so, like, matter of fact, Mm -hmm. and it would work. Like, every time someone says a line in this thing that's, like, a funny, clever line... Like, the actor is, like, so aware that it's a funny, clever line. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, doesn't play. It's, like, there's a smirk the whole time that yeah. doesn't work. I weirdly, yesterday at work, my boss said to me, you know, you say funny things, but you don't say them like they're funny. <laughs> and it's, like, yeah, no, that's how you have to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, everyone on this show is just saying funny lines like they know they're funny lines. Mm -hmm. And, like, you can't do that with comedy. It doesn't work. And, Um, again, it gets much better as it goes. This is, yeah, the, the, like, not, not to say that Leverage is a perfect show, not to say that any of these performances ever get, like, the level that I, I think that we hope that television performances get. But I do feel the need, like, I wish we had watched at least one or two more episodes because I feel like you would have seen it in better, like, it's a procedural, right? Every every episode's a new con, and it's helpful to see just them focusing on a single con so that they can settle in a little bit more. This is why I was like, maybe we should watch another one, but also I was trying to preserve the reveal that I hated it ah, okay. on mic. <laughs> I see, I see, that makes sense. So I was like, I was like, should we watch another one? But then I'd have to explain that I hate it. I think at the very least, what you should do is watch at least one to two more episodes and then tweet, and I will retweet from the Burn Notice account how you feel about it. But you have to wait about to tweet them until at least July, which is when these episodes are coming out. Exactly. You'll have to... When July comes out, I will watch more. But no, and I like... None of that works. And like, yeah, it's so weird how... I think the way that it's structured is so fundamentally weird Mm -hmm. like because they want to have this double cross Mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter to the show that they get double cross i mean it matters in that like they find a different reason to work together and like yeah but also just like it could have they could have just gotten double crossed in the episode like i think if you wanted to have this same story then like you could start it like reservoir dogs I haven't seen Reservoir Dogs. Well, like, Reservoir Dogs is a movie that is about a bank heist that went wrong. Okay. And it starts in, like, a warehouse where people are meeting and then talking about the bank heist that just went really bad and trying to figure out who the rat is, like, why it went bad because the cops showed up. Mm -hmm. Like, the the episode should have started in the, like, warehouse where they meet, Mm -hmm. where they realize that, like that they got double-crossed. Yeah, but then you don't get to start your cool con work spy show with people breaking into a building. Yeah, but it's not that good a break-in. It's, like, bad. I mean, I think think they should have shortened that scene. I like that they started on action. I agree with you pacing-wise, but I do think we needed to start on action. But it could have been, like, just a a snippet of it and then, you know, a title card 10, like, you know, two days later or something like that. Well, like, that's the thing is where I think you could have, like, started in the, like, warehouse or wherever. Mm -hmm. And then flashed back to the the heist 
And then you just, like, kind of intercut. Yeah, but then what's the first scene? Them in a dark room yelling at each other? Yeah. I don't know who any of these people are. I don't care that they're mad yeah, at each other. exactly. But then you do it on... The thing is, I don't know who any of these people are. I don't care that they're mad at each other. But Ooh, you know what? That's interesting. Like, because no, then it the, allows us to flash back to each individual character as they're revealed and pissed. To flash back to, instead of a thing from their childhood that doesn't matter, well, flash no. back to the job, maybe? Yes, this is what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah, like... Also, though, very quickly, this is another thing I have to talk about. Mm-hmm. That's um, completely, I do think it's really kind of fucked up. In all these little introductions of all the thieves, you have, like, the hacker guy, mm-hmm. who we get a flashback to how he is a cool hacker. Mm-hmm. Him, like, being a fun hacker thing. Yep. For Christian Kane, we, like, we get a, a flashback to the insane coffee thing. <laughs> Which is great. And then for, like, our, like, first, like, woman lead, Mm -hmm. we cut to her being an actual child, Mm -hmm. like, getting, like, abuse. Mm -hmm. And, like, and then she, like, kills her parents, I guess. I don't, I don't think they ever actually explain that. I don't think it's ever confirmed if she kills, like, her one parent, both parents. She's definitely, like, a big part of her story is that she was, like, kicked around the foster care system and or was kind of, like, making it on her own until she was eventually adopted by, spoiler alert, like, another master thief and he kind of, like, raises her as his, like, in his image. Why is that not the flashback? Why is that, like, I don't know if they figured it out yet. I think that's either late season one or maybe season two where we meet that guy for the first time. So they probably just didn't have it yet. Exactly. But it becomes this thing where, like, she's literally infantilized. Mm -hmm. She's, like, like, she doesn't get to be, like, a person who has, like, like agency in her flashback yeah and she it's not even like that a... it's it's not even that like we're getting flashbacks of everyone else the first time they do something it's like right. she's the only one that we see become a thief but it's like hardison's already clearly an established hacker by the time we see yeah. this flashback christian kane is obviously uh elliot is obviously already a hitter when we meet him for the first time so there's no, it's not like you know they just started later in life exactly it's not like we don't get to see her be good right away we mm-hmm. get to see her be traumatized right away mm-hmm. and it's like that's just, you know, the way that Hollywood treats women and female characters. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she becomes one of the best characters no, no, I know. on the show. Like, but, like, it is this thing where it's just like... Yeah, that's, a, that's, yeah. A, that's a good call out. Like, yeah, no, it sucks. I was really worried that this was an episode where Sophie was going to play a race that she's not. Because that right. happens two to three times. They They stop after, like, two or three seasons. But there's at least one episode where she plays a South Asian woman and has, yeah. like, her skin darkened. So oh, she's, like, God. low. She's, it's, like, tanned. Like, like, like orangey tan, but it's definitely brown face. Oh. And she's definitely got one of those red dots mm-hmm. in the middle of her forehead. And it's definitely not okay. And like, sure, she's a criminal, but like, hey, guys, we can be criminals without doing blackface or brown face. Uh, and <laughs> thankfully, they figure that out. But like, <laughs> she's also clearly not a criminal. She's clearly a character on a television show. <laughs> This is not a show that is going for realism. Like, yeah. Well, she she eventually, um, like, her her thing becomes very fun. And we, we get to see a lot of her past. And, like, she we revisit her aliases from pre-leverage days, which is always very fun. Well, because she's also, like, his romantic interest, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is why she is the only person who gets an introduction within the context of the episode. Mm-hmm. Everyone else gets flashbacks. Yep. But, like, everyone should have gotten that. Like, that's, mm-hmm. like... 
half of the fun of like an Ocean's Eleven style heist is putting the team together. Yeah, I agree. And we like skip through all of the putting the team together. That's true. And yeah, like, Dubinish could have come to him and say like, "You need thieves." Exactly, and then he could have said, "Oh, I I know some thieves." Like yeah. exactly, and then he has to like go and convince all of these people. And then it's more fun that like they're here at his request and not that they'd all been thrown together. Then it makes it more interesting. Like Nate, I can't believe that I like listened to you. Like you're gonna get me killed, kind of right. stuff. Exactly, like that sort of shit. I don't know why that's not there. Like they like, it's so obvious that it feels weird that they don't do it. Yeah, that's like, probably not a a bad point. And it's. Just so oddly structured. And oh, here's the other thing. You mentioned the ending, mm-hmm. which is bomb. I need I need you to understand, I almost did not watch it. <laughs> Why? Okay, so I watched this episode of television the way that it was supposed to be watched, the way God intended. With, with commercial a- breaks? With commercial breaks. I also almost like quit thinking that it was the end of the Because, episode. yeah, because the scene before it feels like the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. They literally have her like set up premise where mm-hmm. she says like, find some bad guys. It's like, okay, that's the, that's the premise. But here, the thing is, it seems like they realized that like at no point in the episode do they establish kind of the actual way the show works which is they find people who have had things done to them Mm -hmm. and they're like oh fuck (laughs) which is why like it's shot completely different like i think like they shot the pilot the show got picked up and then they realized oh we have to like help people that's the thing do yeah do they though because i I found it completely unnecessary no no but like no i think like i don't think they do i think the the network thought they did sure or like something like that because it really feels like that last scene but it's also so weird because, like, you have, like, this couple who are, like, not, like, amazing actors, but they're really good at selling the thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where it's, like, suddenly, like, like we're just, like, watching these people cry. Like, we're also, we watch them for a little bit too long. Yeah. Just enough to get invested in their actual problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but their 17-year-old I- daughter was killed at the fault of some kind of company. Exactly. Where it's, like... Okay, I want to know what happened to these people, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter. No. It's just all a tee up to save the name of the show. Yeah, fully and unnecessary. It's like fully unnecessary, but then like I'm more invested in this couple than anything else that we've seen up to this point because they have stakes that matter. Mm-hmm. And it's just like you could have done that in the like that's the other thing is that like you could have gone the other tack where like instead of having it being a fake out, Lubitsch is actually just a good guy mm-hmm. and like Dubinich. Or Dubinich, yeah. Dubinich. Lubitsch. Lubitsch, I don't know. Um, Where, like, Dubinich is actually just, like, a good guy who they need to help, Mm -hmm. you know? And that actually establishes... Well, I think the problem is, is that at least in the way that the show is set up, and this becomes a conflict over several seasons, is that, like, these are thieves who work alone and who don't have a code of, like ethics really some of them do to a certain extent like they each have their own obviously like moral compass but ultimately they are thieves and like why would they be brought together for a good cause because they're gonna get paid good guys don't have money and that's kind of the premise of leverage is that basically no the good guys can never afford to pay them so they find good guys who need help and they get payback and pay forward but no but this is the thing is you just do like, the thing that happens in the episode, and then, like, but have it be the plan, like, like, have someone come to him, like, because they, they, I'm assuming in leverage, I don't know, because 
they do establish that, like, they all ha- now have enough money to retire. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I don't know if they're doing that because that means that in, uh, in subsequent episodes, they don't have to make money. Mm-hmm. To a certain extent, yes. Yeah. Also, they need money to set up, like, their Batcave, essentially. Right. There's ways to get money from these guys. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. It depends on the, the gambit. Right. But I think, like, there's certainly enough that, like, the pilot could have had them do the thing that they eventually do, like, the whole time. Like, that could have been, like, the final twist of how they win could have been in Nate's head the whole time. And he could just be like, trust me, you are going to get paid out. Or even explain to them off screen how they are going to get paid out. And then, like, have that be the reveal at the end. But, like, all the crew knows that that is the plan. And so they're like, okay, yeah, I can do that. And then, like, then they think they're getting paid. You know? And it works. Like, and then you could have, like, a moment wherein, like, all of them kind of individually, not unlike Burn Notice, (laughs) like, get to know the people and individually realize that they're in it it for more than the money. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, that... Instead of the thing that it does, where it's like weirdly not concerned with helping people. In the yeah, first it's episode. it's hard because yeah, the the first two like people that like could theoretically be the cows, the clients of the week. Uh-huh. The first one double crosses them. The second one is just like a big shot CEO who we don't like hate necessarily, but he we also don't care about. Exactly, and that is that is tough. That's why they have to. They feel like they have to put the little bit at the end because it's like That's this interesting. is. This is the actual show. The actual show is helping these people. But we don't see these people throughout the episode. They only We only see them at the very end. And it's like, no, if that's the heart of your show, do it in the pilot. It's weird. It's a weird, bad pilot. Like, hmm. well, I wonder if it would have been stronger than if, like, the person who'd actually designed the stuff was on the verge of getting fired or got fired after the DeBenich heist. Uh And like that person somehow either came to them or they became aware of them. We've definitely seen that on Burn Notice. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. So I, Uh yeah, but like, I wonder how that would motivate the thieves. Cause like the thieves are motivated by, we didn't, we did all this work. We didn't get paid and we're kind of pissed off. Exactly. Like that, that's like, that does need to still be an element. Right. And I think that can work. Because, yeah, the sense of ethics doesn't feel earned because the stakes are, like, two millionaires fighting each other. I will say. Over, like, a defense contract and airplane plans. So that is yeah. hard to really hang on to. Can I say, talking about uh, cartoonishness, mm-hmm. the name of, like, Dubinich's airline is Burring. <laughs> it's Boeing. Yeah, and I obviously it's Boeing, but like yeah. something apparently that they do in future seasons is a lot of the bad guy plots are based on real life things. Like there's a Bernie Madoff episode. Right. There's an episode about some scam that was run on a lot of like victims of Hurricane Katrina that they eventually deal with. That is the thing about this show. And I think like it is in the pilot. It's interesting that they never like talk about it explicitly. I don't know the time frame of like when this was shot. And, like, when it came out and all the production stuff. But this is a very, like... Because it came out in December 2008. Okay. If I remember correctly. I think it's December 2008. Yeah. The year that the economy economy collapsed because of bankers. Like, sure. It's, this is very, like, a 2008 recession show. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Like, the thing is, they get rich by shorting stock. Mm-hmm. They, like, literally get rich by doing the big short. Like, which is interesting. It's, like, interesting how, like... And I don't know how aware people were of, like, those big short guys 
in 2008. But it feels interesting that way, like looking at it, like watching them get rich off shorting stock because of like this bad thing that happens, Mm -hmm. which I, that's sort of interesting. And I get that that is like a big part of the show, Mm -hmm. and which is cool. I like that. Um, And I do think you would like it as it got better. And given how I tried watching The Magicians twice, the second time getting most of the way through the first season before I gave up, I think you owe it to me personally, but also Joe and Tony, people that I know you like at least twice as much as me, to watch five or six more episodes. I'm just saying. That's valid. I understand. Because, like, to be honest, Leverage is, like, Leverage and Veronica Mars are the two shows that I'm devastated that I was too young to ever try to work on. Like, those are the two shows that, like, perfectly encapsulate, I think, what I would be good at writing and also would be on brand for the screenwriting brand that I'm trying to build. Right. No, that makes sense. Like, there's definitely a lot of Brie Castellini in Leverage. Mm-hmm. Rude, considering how you liked this first episode, but I'll allow well, it. No, I mean, <laughs> like, in the concept of the show. Sure. Though, like, this is the other thing, is that, like, I've always been aware of Leverage. I've always been aware of, like, the tone of Leverage. Mm-hmm. And the, I've always been a little reluctant to watch it, because it's always been a thing that I think might be just, like, a little bit too frothy for me. And, That's like, fair. and this was very frothy. Yeah. And I think this was like more frothy or more badly frothy. Sure. More, like than the show normally is. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of empty calories mm. in this episode of television. Yeah. But like, yeah, no, I think. How does it compare to the, I would say, equally, if not more terrible, Burn Notice pilot? So I think they're both very bad pilots. Mm-hmm. I think like the Burn Notice pilot is so much better than introducing its stakes. That's true. Like, the Burn Notice pilot is bad, mm-hmm. but like... And it also had more time. It was, wasn't it like an hour and a half long episode? Yeah, it's a much... It's part of it, it's longer. I mean, this is a little bit longer. This is a 57-minute pilot. Oh, okay. Yeah, I um, wondered if it was longer. But still, I think that the Burn Notice pilot was still longer. And no, like, I think frankly, I think that they should have been swapped in timing. I think right. it's fair that the Burn Notice pilot is longer, but it shouldn't have been that long and vice versa. I think this one, at least to do all that it was trying to do, probably could have been longer to make it a little bit more satisfying. Right. I think like the Burn Notice pilot might be a better pilot. Because specifically because of the stakes? Because of the stakes and because it's better at setting up like its show. Like it's better at introducing all of its characters. Mm-hmm. There were fewer uh, of them. which There's fewer of them. And they all have like a personal relationship to Michael. Exactly. And like, although that could have been true for leverage, like there's there's an episode at some point where like they they're solving a crime that all of the thieves think that they completed years ago. And it's like a Rashomon episode where they all have a different recollection of the like what happened to that night that they eventually have to like untangle because all of the thieves think that they successfully did the job. But it turns out that none of them did. See, that's really fun. I think you there's a couple of like specially special episodes that I think you would really enjoy. Yeah, see, that's the sort of thing that I would enjoy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like so. But what I'm saying is like. They could have made it personal to Nate because Nate does literally have a personal relationship with all of them. And they obviously all believe in this guy as a good guy and respect him professionally, if not like for mucking up their plans consistently. So it didn't have to be as detached as it was. You're right. No, it didn't. And the fact that it is, is truly wild. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, there's like pilots are hard. Yeah. Like. Acknowledged. 
Pilots are hard. It's hard to write a good pilot. It's hard to make a good pilot. But you don't have to commit this many own goals. (laughs) The thing is that, like, it's not just working against the problems that pilots present. Mm -hmm. It's working against the problems that it's making for itself. Like, and, like, the, the final reveal is, like, pretty good, but also, like, you can see it coming. Mm -hmm. Like, it all... There's nothing in this episode that I did not see coming. Yeah, and and that's, I think, a major problem of just the length of the episode. Like, subsequent episodes, this doesn't happen every episode where it's like, oh, no, things have gone wrong. Sometimes they do go wrong. Sometimes they go like this, where it's like, it seems to go wrong, but in fact, it was a plant. Which is also very Ocean's Eleven. Like, totally. Like, the... They have them all come out in, like, FBI mm-hmm. suits, which is just like the ending of Ocean's Eleven. Like, and I will say, that's one of my favorite parts of Leverage, is when they all get dressed up to do, like, a final perp walk with the bad guy yeah. <laughs> to be seen. They didn't, Dubinich didn't actually see them in the FBI outfits. No. He saw them, he, they, they just called him. But, like, in, a, in most Leverage episodes at the end, everyone's in their little outfits. So that the perp walk that goes by is like, hey, those are the people that ruined my life. And they're like, who, them? Nah, they're no, they're just kids. <laughs> And unironically love it. Those are FBI agents that I've never seen before. (laughs) But they're definitely FBI agents. I don't need to check. I will also say, and this is related to the episode for next week, where we break an episode of Burn Notice, something that I do also appreciate about Leverage and its long game is that a lot of them have aliases that they have to return to. Uh Because, like, in Burn Notice... For the most part, aliases are one-time aliases. Occasionally they come back, but usually ironically. Uh In Leverage, there are several, like, long-term aliases they have to maintain because, like, the same FBI guys keep, like, almost interfering with their work. Yeah. You know, or, like, someone from their past comes back. And and that's a fun idea. and And they have a lot better continuity, and it makes it more satisfying because then, like... They're they're not just doing like the con of the episode, but they are also having to propagate a more long term con just to allow them to do the work of the episode. And that makes things a lot more satisfying payoffs because every alias doesn't have to be like a fully created thing per episode, forcing us to like never have any kind of backstory or attachment. And that's something I think Leverage shows a lot better than Burn Notice is that like when people from the past come up, usually they are either better introduced or at the very least we have seen or heard of them and therefore the way that our characters react to them feels earned. Right. No, that makes sense. Like I totally buy that. Mm -hmm. Um, But Leverage I think is a show and I think part of the reason I'd never watched it is I think it's one of those shows that like frustrates me the most where it's like... Well, you don't like cloying fake cleverness. I mean, I don't like cloying fake cleverness if it's not... Like, cleverness has to be clever for it to work. Mm-hmm. But I like, feel like I, you in particular are somebody who is, like, especially frustrated by this kind of bad cleverness. Exactly. But because I love good cleverness. Yeah. Like... I mean, everyone likes good cleverness, but I, I don't know. I feel like you have a stronger reaction to, like, oh, I see what you're trying to do there. Bad job. Yeah. Because, like, I... Because, like, I like it when it's done well, is the thing. I think, like, like everyone likes good cleverness, okay? Some people like it more than others. Mm-hmm. Some people are very turned off by cleverness. Mm-hmm. And, like, I am not one of those people. Yeah. I am very turned on by cleverness. <laughs> but, like, you have to be good at it. Like You might even the, say, we get wet for cleverness. We, we get wet for cleverness. No, I think, like, me as a consumer of media, I find it hard to find things that I like. I like things that are done really well. Mm-hmm. You know, I definitely have certain things that I like more than other things in terms of, like, genre and plot. But really what I like is things that are done really well. And, like, 
the problem with like algorithms and like recommendation engines and things like that and like the way that a lot of people i think approach media where it's like i like a kind of thing Mm -hmm. and they like it regardless of how well it's done yeah and whereas like nothing frustrates me more than it's like a thing a genre that i like that is not quite good enough at doing the thing that it's doing because Mm -hmm. it's like no i don't want to watch like a thing that's kind of being done half-assed even if it's it bugs me more because they're half-assing a thing that I care about. Right. Yeah, that's honestly how I feel about a lot of queer representation, certainly in TV, definitely in romance novels. As you know, I am a connoisseur of romance novels at this point. And almost every queer romance novel I have read so far has either been so poorly written that I could not finish it, which was the case of at least two series I tried to start, or it's so enamored with its own queerness that it's not about anything else. And it's like, see, I gave it to you, the thing you want, two women falling in love. And I'm like, well, yes, I do want that, but I also like want the book to be good. And I feel like because of how bad like queer representation has been just like numbers wise it means that when we do get little bits and pieces i feel like a lot of the queer community gets very excited and it doesn't care if the thing is good or not they're so like ready for good queer representation that like to hell with it being a good story and i personally find that extremely frustrating because it's like no i also want queer representation but i want the story to be good too i don't want to settle for this shit Yeah, no, exactly. I will say- We're learning the wrong lesson. (laughs) I will say, I definitely am someone who, like, likes romantic comedies and stuff, and, like, likes them okay, but, like, didn't fully get, like, romance plots fully Mm -hmm. until I saw, like, queer women doing them. And then I was like, I remember, like, watching, like, oh, no, this is the best thing ever. I suddenly get it now. Do you have an example? I'm trying to remember the thing- that like it was you know weirdly like here's the thing there's other things that are like better or worse things but like right now the only thing that's popping in my head is she-ra <laughs> i haven't seen she-ra i've heard good things though but oh. like i think that that's an example of a show that was universally beloved anyways and was exactly. also a, a like a queer story but like I, you know, I, unfortunately, my first thought is always just like the thousands of web series that exist that have like unbelievable numbers on their episodes, not because the shows are good, but because like they've queered every character from a classic literature novel. And it's like, finally, we have trans Mr. Darcy. And I'm like, okay, but is it good? And like that, and that's how all of them are based. They basically just like play Mad Libs with what kind of queer representation can we give to insert classic character novel here? That's it. That's the show. But it's not good. It's shot on a potato. And like for whatever, and and they're like all obsessed with each other and are so popular. And I'm like, I don't, guys, no, (laughs) come on. Shot on a potato is one of the funniest things you've ever said. (laughs) I've been using it a lot recently. I will say also really quickly about queer stuff. There was a moment, very, very brief moment in the pilot where like when they do the thing where like they, they're going to put uh, Sophie like through the, on the like. Oh yeah. Sophie has to get down the Sophie has to get stairs down the stairs very quickly. Really quickly. And so like Parker puts her in and then like. Puts, her, like, puts a harness on her a, and sends her down like the stairwell. Exactly. And as they're, she's putting, as Parker's putting Sophie in the harness, they have this like moment where it's just like, they like look into each other's eyes. They're just like, are they gonna kiss? What's going on? <laughs> like. No, that's her mom. 
Is it really canonically your mom? No, not canonically, but like structurally yeah. in the like basically Nate, because, Nate and Sophie are the parents, and right. then the other three are like both siblings and also fucking. Right, of course. Because it's like I'm sure you've seen on Tumblr like the OT three of, of oh, the kids. Oh, of course. Yeah, which they they like they hint at even more strongly in the new series, although it's definitely not the angle they wanted. But like the problem is that Elliot is too much a part of Parker and Hardison's dynamic for him not to be involved somehow. And I don't think the show has ever fully known what to do about that because like the three actors, especially as they go, are just, they're genuinely so sweet together. And like, you know, there, there are some areas where it's like, oh, this is three siblings fighting. And then other times it's like, they're deeply in love with each other. And I have never known true love until I saw these three people interact. And as they all settle into their roles more and they have a little bit more history on the screen together, like it gets genuinely very sweet. No, I bet it does. Like Mm -hmm. I can see... Potential. I can see potential. The thing about this show is I've always seen how it could be a good show. Mm -hmm. I've just never seen how it could be a great show. fair and i don't even know as a person who has seen leverage like three times if i would argue that it's a great show i think it's a great show for what i want out of a television show but i don't know if i would go so far as to say that any major episodes of this show are great episodes of television like if we were to do the burn notice rubric like i think probably the same percentage of Burn Notice episodes in Leverage would be great episodes of television. I would even say that maybe fewer because the while there are like dramatic stakes eventually, they because the show is a little bit more cartoonish, it's harder for them to hit the high highs. Like Burn Notice because it is technically a drama with just some levity, you know, like any well-respected USA television show in 2006. Right. But because it is technically a drama, it has the potential to elevate itself more easily. Yeah, no. And I think that's always the thing that I felt like was probably missing from Leverage and why I never really dug into it. It's also the reason why, like, find Psych to be such a frustrating show. Interesting. Why is that? I mean, the same thing. It's kind of like Psych is one of those shows that's so fun Mm -hmm. and it's so, like, creative and it's so like silly silly and it never quite finds stakes or like finds i don't know something meaningful in it i don't i don't know Um, if i necessarily agree i think that the three main guys his sean gus and his dad have some moments not of the three of them but like sean and his dad have a relationship that I really appreciate yeah. watching happen. Like one of the most gratifying things of watching Psych is watching these two men who love each other deeply and also fundamentally do not understand the other person desperately trying to tell each other that they love each other and having absolutely no vocabulary to do so. And it's like genuinely heartbreaking in some episodes where you're like watching Henry watch Sean clearly so proud and having absolutely no way to tell him and then immediately putting his foot in his mouth when he tries to and vice versa. You know how much much Sean like genuinely loves and respects his father but then as soon as things start to get emotional because his father is who he looks for to cues for how to be an emotional man fucks it up and they end up fighting or they end up like you know whatever and so the handful of times that they do manage to like be on the same page at the same time is it feels earned in a way that I find very lovely no I get that I think like that was my experience of psych too I think like 
Psych is a show that I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I haven't watched it in years. I don't know if it holds up, but like it does mostly. Uh, There's you know, it's a show from this era. There's some gay phobia, some gay phobia, you know, some gay the phobia, phobia gays. Uh, there's some homophobia. There's some transphobia. There's a lot of stuff that's like they don't outright mock it, but it's part of the way that we talked about those issues at the time. Oh, yeah. Where it's not hateful, but it's not good and right. not helpful. It's not hateful, but it's not helpful. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that's rough. And not everything has to be helpful, but, you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, like... But it should at least not be actively harmful. <laughs> but anyways, like, but they grow out of that the same way that I think Leverage grows out of, like, its obsession with Nate Ford and, like, the show starts to kind of pull away from, maybe we don't need this guy as much. Like, he's got to be there. He's top build, but, like... Clearly, he is not what people are here for, and so let's focus on the people that they are here for. But yeah, I, I think that Psych, and the, there's also moments with Juliet later on, where even in the like worst seasons of Psych, I feel like her like trust in Sean, like when she finds out that he's a fake psychic and all that kind of stuff, I think that they do some interesting stuff, and 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 it's been established in her relationship that like you know communication and trust is huge for her, and this is a major you know betrayal. Well, and there's, there's a handful of episodes from that era that are actually quite good, I think. No, I think so. And I think, like, part of this is just, like, preference. And the fact that, like, this is my overall problem mm-hmm. with procedurals. Sure. Is that, like, all of these things can only kind of happen on the margins. Sure. And it's to a certain extent they can't like move forward too much because like we we don't have enough time per procedural episode to move character stakes forward without losing the heart of like the dynamic of the ensemble exactly and just like the fact that like we're solving a mystery and we gotta like solve mystery and it's like you know like i was thinking about this on the way here about procedurals Mm -hmm. and about like shows that i love and like i don't love a lot of procedurals i was just gonna ask like what are procedurals that you would consider yourself a a lover of and like not that many because like but the thing is, is that there's a lot of shows that I love and there's a lot of procedurals. And I think it's very easy to look at them from the outside and think that they're very similar shows mm-hmm. when actually they're very different shows. Like, I don't know if I would call like The X-Files a procedural. Because again, I think we talked about The X-Files being a Monster of the Week show. Like, mm-hmm. I love Monster of the Week shows. I love like Buffy. I love X-Files. I mean, is the only difference in your mind that the case of the week is supernatural? But no, I mean, like, theoretically, but it's also just more... Because as far as I'm concerned, at least from what I've seen of the X-Files, it is definitely a procedural. Like, I mean, but it also kind of becomes less procedural overall. But I also, like, the X-Files also famously is a, the first, one of the first shows that really has mythology. Okay. Yeah, like, um, has mythology episodes. And also, like, there's more episodes. Like, the X-Files kind of, like, starts a model that, that Buffy builds on, that uh, Deep Space Nine kind of builds on of like these shows that kind of alternate like episode of the week type stuff with like kind of more serialized elements. Okay. But also just like shows wherein every week you will see a story and it's its own story, like its own story, but it's like a new story versus like every week you will see the same story again. And like the thing that I want, I want to watch a show. I want to start an episode of television to be like, I don't know what's going to happen this week. Well, you probably don't like procedurals very much. I don't. <laughs> so what procedurals would you say are shows that you genuinely enjoy? I don't know. I think like... Because like X-Files, I will argue for at least the first half 
is a procedural. I yes. like. I and like. I know you like the X Files. I like the X Files. I think like. Uh, and you like Psych, even if you don't find it as emotionally fulfilling. Right. I would say like if X Files is a procedural, that is my favorite procedural. Okay. Any like, others that would come to mind? I don't know. And the thing is, I used to watch them more, and I don't watch them as much anymore because mm-hmm. I always like. Well, they don't really make them the same way anymore. Well, they don't. It's like it's you're either part of the like Dick Wolf MCU or it's so heightened to not even really resemble a procedural anymore. Like most mystery shows at this point are not procedurals. Like there's the after party, which I need to finish. Who who made, wasn't that like Miller and the other guy? Was ben it Sh- Miller? It might be. Ben Schwartz is in it. Sam Richardson people, is in it. People like it. Apparently it's very, I saw the pilot and it was okay. It was oh. a little slow for me, but most things are. But then there's, there's uh, the only murders in the building. Yeah, which Mis- I'm watching big mystery. Right now. It's also slow. It is slow. <laughs> and I also uh, don't care about the old men. <laughs> the old men's plot lines are my least, like they're not interesting. I don't give a shit that this guy is like squandering everyone's money like fuck yeah. you i don't super either i don't know it's fine and they spend so much time on it it's like oh but it's also kind of, i don't know it's one of those things where it's like uh maybe i'd care about it if i was old yeah, it, yeah. well that's fair and i'm not but, but my, my point it's is good for old people to have a show and then there's true detective which i don't think ha- i've never no, seen true detective but, but it's, it's not, not procedural right because well, it's now, like a season long mystery exactly now mysteries are season long like mm-hmm. now that's the thing that we do now we just do um, all like the season long arcs and no yeah. individual episode arcs right and like there's a way to do a season long show that has individual episodes veronica mars yeah, like, I was just going to ask if you consider Veronica Mars a procedural. I was about to ask you that very same question. I think uh, that I would because there is a case of the week in I, addition to like several season or half season long mystery arcs. Yeah, I would say that like if Veronica Mars is a procedural, that's a procedural. That's another one of my favorite favorite procedurals. Mm-hmm. But also like Veronica Mars and X-Files are also very similar, similarly structured as shows where some episodes feel a little bit more procedural. Mm-hmm. Some episodes feel very much not procedural. And like what happens in that week is kind of dictated by story needs mm-hmm. more than the need to provide comfort for the audience. That's fair. But um, I, I don't think that that is a necessary pillar of is it a procedural or not? No, I, do I think th- the best procedurals have that flexibility because even Psych has a level of flexibility in it at certain points. I do wish it had more. That's I think that was my thing about Psych as I wish I had it had a little bit more flexibility, and that's why I find it frustrating because like I would want I want Psych to be Veronica Mars, and I think that is actually my biggest problem with Psych is that it's not Veronica Mars. Interesting. Like I think that's what I wanted from it when I was watching it. Because I was thinking about this the other day. I have very little interest in watching art for comfort. Like, I do find comfort in art. And I definitely do watch art looking for comfort sometimes. But I don't like watching art that's designed for comfort. Hmm. Like, I find comfort in things that are not designed for comfort. You know? And I think, like, that's the thing. I think one of the marks of procedurals, Mm -hmm. as opposed to Monster of the Week shows, or, like, things like that, where, like... They are designed for comfort. They are designed so that when you watch it, you know what you're going into. Yeah. You know? And that's the thing that I don't want. When I'm watching an episode of television, I want to be surprised. I mean, I will say that the best shows like that, media like that, have, like, carefully calibrated uncomfortable moments that, like, allow you to feel things and feel the stakes of the moment without, like, taking, making 
it, you completely uncomfortable. It's like the calibrated discomfort, I think, is the power of a good procedural or what I would say, like, a good romance novel. It's like romance novels are very much meant to be, like, you meet two characters at the beginning, you're like, hell yeah, they're going to get together by the end. And you know for certain they will make it through. But the best romance novels, in my opinion, are the ones that absolutely destroy you in the middle uh -huh. so that it matters more at the end. Like, I really don't like romance novels that seem to have no real conflict throughout or there's such contrived conflicts that you're like, I don't care. But like when I feel in the pit of my stomach, like, oh, no, I know why she's so upset right now because of, you know, X, Y, and Z. Like, that's, that, that's good discomfort. Yeah, I will say like, calculated discomfort is a very good way to put it. Because I do want to also push back against the idea, when I say that I like being surprised, that I want, like, Game of Thrones storytelling. I was just going to say Game of Thrones twists. <laughs> as, like, like, that's also bad. Like, because mm -hmm. I love structure. Mm -hmm. I think it's like, I love structure and you love structure. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, I really want you to play around with structure. I really right. want, like, I want to see new structures. Or I, if I want to see you... I want to structures. know that you know the rules, but I also want to know that you know how to break them when the narrative demands it. Exactly. I don't want you to feel so beholden to the rules right. that you feel like you can't break them, even though you are really good at executing them. Sure. Oftentimes, like, a lot of my favorite things are, like, things that are really good genre exercises, that are really good at executing things that we've seen before. Like, I think a lot... We people got afraid of structure and got afraid of tropes. Mm -hmm. Like, and you get like Game of Thrones plotting mm -hmm. where like, and I think, and I think part of the reason for that is no one in Hollywood wants to admit the thing that is just true, which is the best way to get people to like a thing is to just be really good at craft. Right, yeah. Like, if you want people to like your thing, just be good at craft. But like invest in craft, give space for craft. Like. And and like that's the thing where I think like and it doesn't have to mean like things have to be really smart. Mm -hmm. I think like people get in their heads about that too much where it's like, oh, people don't like things that are good. When like when people say like things that are good, they mean things that are like really smart, but are also like, I don't know, subversive or mm -hmm. like weird or whatever. I just mean like being good at craft gets people on board, no matter what the thing is. Yeah, just like, a thoughtfully constructed story. The, there's a reason that, like, James Cameron has made the biggest movie of all time twice in a row. Because he's immensely good at craft. Like, and that's the thing where it's just, like, you have to have people that are good at craft, and if you can do that, you will make a lot of money. But no one wants to do that. No, no one wants to find, like, everyone wants to find the shortcut. Yep. And, like, this episode of television is an episode of television that has a lot of shortcuts in it. It's a lot of, like, not investing in craft in the episode. And I think that's why it doesn't work. Yeah, I think that's fair. So final thoughts on on leverage, on whether you would wish that we had done a, a podcast. There was a, there was a brief moment in time where I know Joe from Burn Noticed Noticed really wanted us to do a leverage podcast with him and Tony specifically. <laughs> Having watched this episode in perfect circumstances where we had the ability to continue doing a podcast together, would you have been open to that? I mean, sure. I mean, like, I could see a version of the show that's good. I... Would well, almost would, worry... Would it be enough to talk about week to week, though? 
this is my problem. I remember, I'm glad that we found stuff to talk about because we both independently thought there's not going to be a lot to talk about about mm-hmm. this pilot. Like, it helps that I didn't like it. Yeah, that definitely, that you really <laughs> took one for the team there. Yeah, but this is the thing, whereas that's actually the problem. Like, if we kept watch- if we kept watching the show and I started to like it, then what would we say about it? Mm-hmm. And it's you not know? to say that you, we have to like a show to, or not like a show in order to make a podcast about it. No, but like, like, in Burn Notice, there's so much that's kind of spiky and weird. Mm-hmm. And there's so much, like, actual stakes. And there's so much, like, stuff that's going on in it. Like, even when we liked it, generally speaking, we had stuff to say. Exactly. Because it informed things we'd seen before. It Or when it worked, it worked usually in interesting ways. Like, mm-hmm. it worked in ways that you could talk about it. Yeah. Like, I'm sure there's, like, really good episodes of Leverage. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if they're good in the way where there's a lot to say about them. No, because for the most part, every episode is a con and like there are a handful that are you know more narrative based but like every episode is them doing a con and sometimes the character moments go a little bit further I mean, than others like, but like ultimately like every week is going to be the same like on burn notice despite it being a procedural every week was very much not the same exactly we and had I'm- a formula for burn notice episodes and they still managed to deliver something completely unique every single week exactly i think that is why like i was more on board with watching burn notice it's why i watched burn notice for years and did not watch leverage (laughs) Mm -hmm. like i I mean we also banned you from it no i mean when it was on oh what i'm saying when burn notice was on originally i watched it Mm -hmm. and i did not watch leverage like i I made a choice to watch one of those shows and not the other yeah i didn't i definitely didn't make a conscious choice i don't know if i had heard of leverage until much, much later, certainly after it had ended. That was how I was with most shows, though, because my family wasn't really a TV family. Yeah. We, we, When we did watch TV together, it was uh, reality shows, mm-hmm. specifically Survivor and Amazing Race. But I was a reader all through high school and middle school, and so TV was not as much of a part of my media consumption until streaming became a thing. Right. And so there are a lot of shows from that time that unless my mom was specifically watching it and, like, I had nothing better to do and would watch with her, uh, a.k.a. Burn Notice. Uh, Also, I liked spy stuff, and I was writing spy novels at the time, so, you know, it it worked out that way. But unless that happened, I wasn't watching. Like, I watched shows because my mom watched them. I watched Ugly Betty, Friday Night Lights, and burn notice because my mom was watching them independently and also my dad would make fun of her for basically all of those shows and she was like fuck you i love this show and i would sometimes watch with her and be like well this is actually a pretty good show but otherwise i did not watch tv right no yeah whereas like i watched a lot of tv like i read a lot too but i i watched a lot of tv Mm -hmm. and like it just looked i looked at it and i was like yeah i get what that is yeah and i was like and like it's like i get what that is it could be fun but it's just like also yeah, it feels like it's probably kind of frothy and there's not a lot of stakes there. And it's just like, you know, and the characters probably do stuff. Yeah, the stakes grow as you just, like, care about the characters. And then it just becomes, like, a fun, like, comfort show. It is the thing that you don't like about TV, which is you get a fun episode of people you like. Sometimes bad things happen to them and, like, it, it, it... it, it allows us to learn more about them. But ultimately, I watch Leverage to watch five smart, attractive people who love each other a lot make bad guys pay for bad decisions. And, like, I do like that. That is the thing. I feel like if we did 
if we did leverage as a show, the thing about Burn Notice is that Burn Notice became a show where we got really mad and talked about the CIA <laughs> and like the government and like cops. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if we did leverage, it would just be a show about us arguing about capitalism, not arguing about capitalism, no. like arguing against Pre- capitalism. Preaching to the choir about capitalism. I think honestly, yeah. the only way that leverage or love comma raged works as a show is if we don't go episode by episode, but either do it in like blocks of episodes, like maybe two episodes per season or we do season long things because there's not enough that happens from a week to week basis that I think would be worth doing. Right. No, I, that's the thing. Also just to say like when you pitched Lev rage earlier, mm-hmm. I was like, I can't give the game away. <laughs> <laughs> I can't give the game away. We have to do this. Like, as like, I mean, the game could have been that you're mad that I'm trying to take mastermind away from you. That could have been, you, uh, you could have found a way. But no, The thing is once I watched the pilot, the episode, I was like, Oh, I don't like this. Okay, that's what this that's what the podcast is gonna be about. Sure, sure, sure. And yeah, and for like the most part, not even for the most part, I a hundred percent agree with you on every single account. I now of course have like the the Exactly the fourth the not the fourth thought, but like I, I have the experience to know that there are things about this show that in spite of its poor upbringing, in spite of its poor like initial performance it does do better childhood (laughs) despite leverage's um uh traumatic backstory (laughs) as a show uh i i know that it gets better and so like i can see moments now where i'm like okay that's it's not really doing itself any credit but also yeah i don't disagree with you on any of the things that you don't like about this and also knowing your taste in general i also understand why there are going to be elements of leverage even if you get into it that you're gonna be like all right john let's move it along yeah no i think i feel the same way you mentioned the terrible terrible magicians pilot Mm -hmm. i feel that way about the magicians pilot a terrible episode of television yeah like when i watch it i'm like oh but i like these characters like there's bits here that i like how long did it take you to like the characters though um because i watched most of season one did not like a single character maybe uh, is his name also elliot yeah, there's Elliot. I liked Elliot. I liked Elliot early on. He's maybe the only one that I, I liked, liked Elliot. Even a little bit. Here's the thing about like magicians and why like you probably wouldn't like it even if it get, even when it gets good. Or well, actually, I don't know. Well, maybe because like you also just don't like Julia for some reason. Whereas, like she's so annoying the whole time, and it's like I'd rather destroy everyone around me than admit that maybe I'm not as special as I hoped I would be. It's like I don't give a shit. Grow up. So you can't do magic. Boo fucking who. Like, and like, oh, and to be fair, like, this is a different podcast. (laughs) Um, But go back to what you were saying, like. Oh, yeah. Like, but like seeing little bits, things I like, but also partially just all the characters get better. Like, the thing about magicians is that, like, towards the end of season one, they kind of figure it out more. I think, like right around the time that you like stop i stopped watching uh on the threesome at the end of the threesome at the end of the threesome i think like okay so like i the show started working for me the episode before the threesome episode i don't remember it anymore (laughs) that's the episode wherein it winds up where like penny gets trapped in the library and in order to get him back quentin has to make alice come yeah i that's just not what I'm looking for out of television. See, I actually really like that episode. I think, like, that was the episode that sold me on the show. Okay. Because, like, it's actually got, like, a really kind of nuanced idea to it, which is, like, communicate. It's a, it's, a, it's an episode that's about, like, how, like, at the end, it's like, oh, 
yeah, they don't, she doesn't always come because they don't talk to each other, <laughs> you know? And it's just like, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I, I guess I, like, I, at that point, I was like, I just didn't care about like, any also, like, And all the library stuff is really fun. And we introduce, like, Zelda, who's a great character. And, like, a lot of, like, fun concepts that end up being really integral to the show mm-hmm. get introduced there. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're introduced really well. And also just the guy who wrote that episode's really funny. So that episode is suddenly, like, much funnier than most of the show has been up to that point. Because, like, it's the first guy who kind of writes comedy really well. Mm. Writes on that episode. But it, that's also a show where, like, you get to, like the premiere of season two mm-hmm. and then suddenly all of the characters are much more likable and all kind of like each other much more mm. and like it's one of those things where it's like oh okay we figured out what we were doing wrong <laughs> and then, like it's a lot like Buffy or Angel where like you get to season two and there's like clearly a step up in quality mm-hmm. where it's like oh they figured something out between seasons yeah I think the thing about leverage is that like ultimately what you're getting out of every individual episode is not like an allegory necessarily like in Buffy or like a metaphor for growing up or whatever like what you get at the end of a leverage episode is like vindication that capitalism has once again been defeated and also some fun jokes and adorable moments between our, our favorite characters and it's like that's good and they have enough uniqueness and like I like the characters enough to watch every single episode but ultimately like like deep narrative and emotional satisfaction is not something I get out of leverage. Even when we get the characters into moments where like, like Parker has a lot of really great stuff later on where she is trying to learn to be more well-rounded than simply a thief. Yeah. And she and Sophie get a lot of great scenes together where like Sophie tries to sort of coach her and also Parker's sort of like autism coding becomes a little bit more clarified, right. but not spoken down to. And like, there's a lot of great stuff there. Um, I, I just love Elliot and everything I learn about him. And Elliot often has the most, like, complicated plots. Like, he has a lot of episode-to-episode plots. Like, there's actually an episode with Alana Tall in season one or two, where Alana Tall and her brother are, like, country singer-songwriters. And they work for, like, this terrible record label. And he breaks her brother's, like, hand or something. And he's, like, stealing all of their work. And so Elliot has to pretend to be like an up and coming country artist and Alana Tall and him like fall in love for the course of the episode. And it's, she's also way too young for him. Not great, but like, it's like a genuinely sweet, like little sort of romantic comedy in the middle of a leverage episode. And it's Elliot and Elliot has the best, like Elliot gets the most invested in the individual cases as like a person. Right. Which is unexpected for the, like the type that he's supposed to play, but is very fun. But again, ultimately, it's not an emotionally satisfying show beyond the, like, catharsis of fuck capitalism. Well, he is, like I said, he is the best part about the pilot. Like, great. he's also, again, came out of Angel. Like, he's That's already true. done Angel at this point. Like, he gets this kind of show. Mm-hmm. And, like, but also, like, the slightly different kind of show that Angel is. And so, like... Well, he also benefits from, like, being the character that is of fewer words than the others. So there's not as much to make a meal of with him. No, that's true. But it's also like he could sell those lines. I feel like he would be he is good at selling a lot of his dialogue, mm-hmm. which I think comes out of that background of like being on a Joss Whedon show where mm-hmm. so much of it is about selling clever dialogue. Yep. It's like like um, I don't think his character on Angel was particularly clever, if I'm remembering. Well, no, but like kind of is a little bit like he does have the really fun evil hand monologue. <laughs> I haven't but, seen Angel in a while. I need to rewatch that final season, especially. Oh, yeah. He comes back in the final season. 
Well, because that's like the company that they work for. Exactly. But he doesn't work for them anymore. It's like, um. Anyways. Good note, because, like, yeah, Kitsi leaves Wolfman Hart and does the evil hand a lot. So, would you say that of the ensemble, Christian Kane is your favorite so far? Yeah, no, 100%. Is that just because of his performance or. His performance, and, like, like, he is the only person who sells the flashback. And, like, <laughs> that's not fair to all, Parker. All he does is sip a coffee and say, I want the merchandise. Yeah, and he most sells of, it. No, I was say, is, most of his flashback is not him. I know, but it works and he sells like the thing is he is he's really good at sipping the coffee. Like other people good. would have made a meal of the coffee. Like he knows to undersell it. Like he knows exactly how to behave standing still. Mm-hmm. And like everyone else kind of like Everyone else has so much business and they're all... They have a lot stuff. of like, nervous energy. And nervous like. energy. Like, he ha- he gets to have presence. Mm-hmm. No one else has presence. Yeah. Like, he has presence. And so, like, that that flashback works on his presence. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, yeah, like, um, with, um, what's his name? The hacker guy. Hardison. Hardison. Like, it's like, yeah, you have to do this, like, joke. And it's like, uh, you know... Yeah, Hardison, I think, is the worst, like, character other than Nate, obviously. Nate is, of of course, the worst character in the pilot. Nate is the worst character of every episode. But I will say Hardison suffers the most in the pilot uh, from, like, the overuse of AAVE that doesn't feel 100% natural. Like, he definitely continues having, like, a dialect, but it's a lot less, like, overpronounced. But it's also, it's kind of interesting. Like, it feels like a white guy wrote these lines and then allowed him to riff. But it's also a white guy who is mashing together two stereotypes that he's writing, like, broad stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Because, like, because, like, we don't super have, and, like, like, we do, but we don't have as much in our, like, American trope, like, media culture mm-hmm. of black nerd. Yeah. Yeah, blurred uh, is not an uh, a regular... No. Exactly. Yeah, it's not um, a regular trope. Like, and, like, because the only time we ever had that in the past was, like, fucking Urkel. And, like, like, but that's the thing is that where it's, like, what ends up happening is that, like, you graft on white nerd tropes mm-hmm. onto, like, a black character. Mm-hmm. And, like... Who's written by a white guy. Who's written by a white guy. And that... That's definitely kind of a little bit what's happening with him in the pilot. For sure. Like, I'm very white. I shouldn't be talking about, like, I don't have, like, enough. But, like, you know, I've known a lot of black nerds. Yeah. But all I was going to say is that Hardison, I think, has done the dirtiest by the way in which his character acts in this episode. And he gets a lot more complex and a lot better dialogue in the future. Like, every every line of dialogue that Hardison says is, like, it should be on a graphic t-shirt. Yeah. It's like Age of the Geek, baby, Age of the Geek. And it's yeah. like, that comes out of no, it's such a non sequitur. And like, he, Aldous Hodge is so good at his nonverbals. Like, he has really great presence that they're not letting him have because he has all these garbage, like, one liners. Like, he's fucking Sheldon Cooper. Exactly. No, it's so weird. But the thing is that, like, because, like, Christian Kane is so quiet, mm-hmm. and because Parker, I don't know the actress's name, is, like, so... Beth Reesgraf, Beth... who was in one of the other Matt Nix pilots that we watched. She was in Complications. She was the wife in Complications. Oh, interesting. Do you remember her? I don't remember. I remember... I think I mentioned it in that episode. I'm sure you like, did. It's Beth Reesgraf. She's from... It was very weird seeing her play a neurotypical person. Yeah. No, but the thing is, like, she's doing this performance that's also very, like, closed off in that way. Like, mm-hmm. so they're both kind of closed off people, so he has to be the charismatic guy, mm-hmm. and so they're putting it all on him. So he he gets the lion's share of, like, the worst lions. Yeah. Because, like, he has to be the person who is charismatic. Mm-hmm. But, like, 
these people aren't good at writing charismatic. Yeah, they're they're better at balancing that in the future because yeah. we have a little bit more an, of an understanding of what everyone's sort of dynamic is. So he's still the talkative one throughout the rest of like the trio's scenes in the show, but they he he gets a lot more personality than just <laughs> nerd like he gets to have insecurities he gets to have like specific things he's going after he gets to have his sort of arrogance and overconfidence and a lot of different things like there's one really great episode where it's in a later season where he's trying to like take on the mastermind like trait like nate is trying to train all of them to be masterminds and so he he does his version where he designs a con of his own he's like i don't want to use one of the old cons like they'll see it coming i'm going to design my own con and it's like way too overcomplicated and like completely blows up in his face but like he still manages to get out of it but it's one of his really good episodes of like getting to see hardison at his core which is that like he likes overcomplicating things because that's sort of his thing is that he's the guy that breaks through the complications he's the hacker he's the one who sees the pattern in the chaos and he like really takes that into himself and so he that that's a much more fun character yeah that that is a lot more complex and interesting but yeah in the in the pilot i'm like man this is so unfair to aldous hodge he's so good normally this is not doing him any favors and it's not and yeah like and he has to carry so much and it just does not work yeah carry Uh, so much and what he's carrying is shit dialogue well yeah exactly but like but also like again he has to carry the likable one the other two get to be kind of unlikable Mm -hmm. you know like, they're likable as well. Mm-hmm. Well, not that they're not likable, but they also, like, they, they're they playing more, like, less charismatic types or, like, mm-hmm. less gregarious types. Yeah. We so, like, like them in spite of their lack of charisma. Exactly. Whereas, like, we have to like Hardison because of his charisma. Yeah. And, like, and that's a hard thing to do. And, like, yeah, they're giving him nothing. All right. So then final character that we haven't talked about really is Sophie. Sophie. Thoughts on Sophie? She's fine. She gets the introduction, mm-hmm. and which is good. She's the only one who gets one. Yeah. Like, a proper one. Do you like the, the thing that maintains, cons- is a thing that carries through the rest of the show, is that she's bad at acting unless she's lying? Exactly. I mean, it's a fun game. Mm-hmm. But this is kind of the thing. Oh, this is another one of those um, really bad uh, Timothy Hutton pauses. Yeah, where he's like, oh, she's she's a ter- uh, a great actress as long as she's blah, 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 blah. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, yeah, she's only good. Like, yeah, she like it's this big, long pause where it's oh, like, oh, it's, it's only when it's illegal or only when she's doing a crime or something exactly, like that. Exactly. Yeah. It's like she's the best actress in the world when she's doing a crime. It's like, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> like, yeah, no, we already have the concept. Like, we've got it. You don't need to tell us that. Or if you're going to tell us that. Just throw it away. They probably could have had time to better develop the Nigerian scam if they just cut out all of Timothy Hutton's pauses. Yeah, right. And, like, that's also part of the thing where it's, like, part of the reason that, like, you can see the twist coming is that, like, they don't, like, they spend so much time, like, awkwardly over-indicating stuff Mm -hmm. in the episode that when they don't awkwardly over-indicate the Nigerians and where they came from, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, well, obviously they're real. Right. Oh, that actually, talking about Sophie reminded me of another annoying, like contrivance which is the scene the first scene where sophie is part of the scam and she's like talking to bennett around to like potentially invest with her company or whatever blah 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 and like there's a moment where it seems like they've lost him and uh nate's like just wait she'll figure it out and then sophie like brings up his competitor you know the people that they all stole the original shit from it's like and he's like that's my girl and it's like what are you talking about that's the only thing she could have done in that moment of course she should invoke the guy that he hates so much that he stole his shit 
it. Like, why? That's not her being clever. That's her reading probably the notebook that you gave her ahead of time to prepare for this. I will say about that scene, because I remember when that happened, I was annoyed. I was at least kind of pleased that they had the guy call out that he was being manipulated. Oh, yeah. Like, because that made the... And then she goes, yeah, I know. And, like, that made the scene play better. For sure. For sure. Like, the details of the scene are irritating to me, but those... And those are moments that they do a lot in Leverage, where... And those make episodes a lot more satisfying when, like, this is a person who is either a con man in their own right that they're conning, or is familiar enough with the kind of manipulation that they're doing that, like, they allow that to be a part of it. Yeah. And, like, they they allow themselves to get conned. You know, the the, the con, like... rats them out the first two times and so they have to keep like changing the game um and like those are those are episodes that i find much stronger when it's not just like a rube (laughs) but in fact someone who is a worthy opponent yeah and the thing is i will say and they do better at worthy opponents than burn notice does frequently yeah burn notice worthy opponents are like good until we're running out of time in the episode (laughs) and we have to have them not be good yeah and that's the thing where it's like I would like Leverage, I think. And I probably would like episodes of Leverage. There's probably ones that I would like. I think, like, I would like Leverage if it was made, like, insanely well. Like, again, it has to be, like, it would have to be a craft show. It would have mm-hmm. to be, like, uh, a craft, like, showcase. It's not. And then that's the thing where it's, like, I w- I'm on board with the thing you're doing, but you have to, like, the thing is, it's like one of those things where it's, like, you need to have someone insane making it. You need to, like, have someone, like, like... Like, again, I like Mission Impossible 4, which is such a, like, movie movie, because, like, you have, like, Brad Bird making it, who's, like, an insane craft guy. Like, mm-hmm. I like I like stuff made that's made by, like, insane craft people. Mm-hmm. Even lots of times they end up being weird conservatives. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. But, like, yeah, like, you have to be have these, like, insane craft things in order to make this kind of thing yeah. work and sing. And I, and I think John Rogers is a little bit too even-keeled. Yeah. Like, he he he's too self-aware i think i think you need a little bit less self-awareness to make a really good leverage no i think so i think like he might have the jj abrams problem oh he for sure does that's a good call out like again i i mean at least he is better at executing endings than jj abrams fucking mystery box like i don't know it's gonna happen it's like yeah jj that's a problem your job is to know what happens exactly Like, John Rogers is good at endings. He knows what is happening. But he is a little bit too, like, smug and and self-aware of, like, tropes for his own good. Exactly. Where it's, like, or... Um, it becomes a puzzle rather than a, like, story. Yeah. And also, just, like, you're too... It's, like, you're making the thing you like more than you're making the thing that you're good at. Yeah. You know? I'm, like... Like, I, I think the two men who, like, have ruined genre media the most mm-hmm. in the last, like, 20 years are J.J. Abrams and John Favreau. Oh, man, we can't even get started on John Favreau. Okay. But, like, but like John Rogers? Yeah. Feels like one of those kinds of guys mm-hmm. where it's, like, he really likes this kind of thing, but, like, that's not the thing that he's good at. He's not, like, a weird, like, he doesn't care that much about, like, the, the timing and the pacing and the camera moves and the, like, and the, like, dialogue being, like, exact and the performances being exact like you have to like like you see these guys who like grew up on movies made by insane people mm-hmm. who are just like guys yeah like guys who want to be like spielberg or like spielberg is an insane person mm-hmm. like he's like spielberg is like a guy who like goes in and just looks at like a set and goes we'll do this and this and this and this like this is the thing he actually does not 
storyboard that much, Spielberg, which is kind of weird. He just, like, goes in and so innately knows movies that he just goes, yeah, we'll go and do this. And he just makes all of the correct choices. Hmm. Like, and, like, that's you need to be making a thing like this. So, obviously, we've spent quite a bit of time talking about Big Daddy uh, over the course of the last three years. So Um, now, as a final conversation, like... What what are what are your thoughts vis-a-vis John Rogers versus Matt Nix? Well, I think like because we've seen a lot of Matt Nix pilots at this point. I think like Matt Nix. I don't think Matt Nix is trying to be anyone else. No, he's not. I think that's why a lot of, like when he works, he works because he's not really like he has things that he likes. Mm-hmm. And I think mean, like and he has a moral compass that definitely colors the way that his shows go and like how the characters behave. Yeah. But that's the thing where it's like, I think I may have even said this on Twitter or somewhere where like, he's a guy who's not trying to be Michael Bann. He's not trying to be like a specific filmmaker or like, he's not trying to be like this very specific thing that he grew up on as much as he's trying to be the guy that the stuff that he grew up, grew up on was trying to be. Like break that down for me. Like, or like, cause like J.J. Abrams is like trying to be Spielberg when he should be trying to be the guy that Spielberg was trying to be. Who is still trying to be? I I don't know. Like thirty serials doesn't matter. Like like the point is that like there's not a specific guy. It's just like just like a vibe of like movies. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to like. But in comparing John Rogers to Matt Nix, I think yeah, I think because Matt Nix also often tries to be clever and oh no, when but I, he fails at it. Oh no, I think it's more like I felt like the pilot. Like I talked about Ocean's Eleven a lot, and he also yeah. talks about Rockford Files and stuff. I think like he's watched. He's so much a fan of those kinds of shows that like he's emulating. He's emulating too much. He's like he's so concerned with like he has the view, the audience experience of those shows without like trying too hard to like emulate the like creator experience of those shows. that's what I'm, that's kind of okay. what i'm saying so so that's john kinda... rogers is a fan yeah matt nix is a a leader yeah or like matt nix is trying to be a peer okay i think like yeah where it's like and i think that there is a, a draw and a drawback for both of those perspectives. I think you need to be enough of a fan to understand like what people are looking for. And I think you need to be enough of a peer to have your own opinions, regardless of what the fans think. You know who's good at that? Who? Ryan Johnson. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of thing. Like Ryan, like also just one of those guys who's a little bit crazy. Like Specifically kind of though, R-I-A-N, not Ryan Johnson, one of the writers from Burn Notice who frequently writes episodes with Peter Delanus. Exactly. Not that Ryan Johnson. Although honestly, that Ryan Johnson's probably a little bit that too. Like I would be uh, really curious, a lot of our favorite guys, if they ever actually show ran a show, I would be so curious to see like what their show would look exactly. like. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I'd be very curious. Because um, I don't think any of them have. I think Ben Watkins was in charge of a show for a while. And we know yeah. Alfredo was in charge of a show for a while. Yeah. No, and, I think... and absolutely fuck that show. Exactly. But like, <laughs> you know, I would love to see, I mean, also Lisa Joy. Yeah. I mean, did, did you see Westworld? I've not seen Westworld. It's fine. It's not what it HBO wanted it to be. Right. And I don't think it was fair of HBO to put that pressure on them. Yeah. I think that's not like it's, yeah, that's not the show's fault, I'm sure. No. But, like, the, the weight of those expectations is clear in a lot of the stuff that happens. And ultimately, I think it just 
could not live up to that, despite it really trying to. Yeah. And so it was ultimately something that, despite the stellar cast and really interesting, genuinely interesting world building, I it couldn't keep my attention for more than a season or so. But it's not such as, like, yeah, because they were, like, selling it of, like, this is the new Game of Thrones. And it's mm-hmm. like, why would you do that? Yeah, exactly. Like, it doesn't make sense to sell it as the new Game of Thrones. Like, it's not that kind of show. Mm-hmm. But it's also, like, yeah, like... Yeah, I think if if they if it hadn't had to be the show that came on like the next big sci-fi show, sci-fi fantasy show that they did after Game of Thrones, I think that they would have had a little more breathing room to do a little bit less, and I think that would have benefited it. I do also think like actually you had that moment to say where you were like sci-fi and then sci-fi fantasy, but like sci-fi and fantasy are two like genres that get lumped together a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that they do very similarly, but also are also very fundamentally different genres in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And like, you can't sell like a hard science fiction show the way that you sell a fantasy show. Mm-hmm. And like part of this is Star Wars fault because Star Wars is sci-fi, sci-fantasy, mm-hmm. you know, like kind of blurring that sort of thing. But like, you can do like a kind of space opera type show that's like Game of Thrones, but that's not, clearly not the thing that Westworld is trying to no, be. Definitely not. Uh, but I am curious to see what she does with the Fallout show that I should be working on, Lisa Joy. That's the end of this conversation. But Lisa Joy, please put me on your Fallout show. Any final thoughts about leverage, <laughs> about procedural television? Because this is the last time that we are going to be talking about a show that doesn't exist. This is the second to last episode of all time of Burn, Comma, Noticed. Uh, no, I think that's it. I think it's actually really helpful to end on this because we get to kind of talk about all this procedural stuff again and mm-hmm. kind of like really talk about the things that we want out of television. I'm which, glad that which, we did it. Which lead into perfectly next week where we will actually plan our very own episode of procedural television. I'm looking forward to it. I am too. Well, thanks again to Vincent E.L., whose theme music I will undoubtedly use for the second to last time here. If you like Vince's music or want to hear better versions of Vince's music that don't require the use of the Burn Notice theme song, head to vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week for our final episode on this feed of all time, probably. Bye. That's all right. (laughs) 